0: Hello mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between I'm Bryant and I'm Caitlin and Operation Silver Screen is a go.
1: Welcome everyone to another weekly debrief each week Bright and I take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have yet to see and our debrief will provide not only our opinion of the film but will also discuss its significance and influence in both the film industry and society as a whole. Along the way, we'll also provide other fun trivia and insights on the film. So, Brian, what was our mission this week?
0: This episode is actually in celebration of a birthday. A birthday not just for a special boy, but for an old boy. Yeah, You see what I did there, Caitlin? Like, Mm -hmm. this classic movie from 2003 has gained a re-release with a 4K restoration in high definition. I feel like we don't get that anymore. Remember, like, that used to be a big thing? Like they used to really space it out. It used to be like a like one of the great uh wonders of the world, high definition, color television, Technovision.
1: Uh no, I don't <laughs> I um, fully know what you're talking about.
0: Maybe I was just easily impressed.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe I <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh twentieth anniversary.
0: Yeah, twentieth anniversary. Yeah, I said the film from two thousand three, it being twenty twenty three. Give our audience more credit, Caitlin. Like do some simple math.
1: I mean, I can't, so...
0: <laughs> that was for all the Katelyns out there. Yeah. yeah all my and, uh, fellow
1: English majors.
0: <laughs> and this is a movie that both of us have not seen. Isn't that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: And neither of us got to see this one in theater. My reasons being more acceptable than yours.
1: What does that mean?
0: <laughs> it means that uh, you... We're unable to see this movie because you had a very busy busy week, but you made time to see Sharknado. Was it worth it, Caitlin?
1: I don't think that the restoration is actually playing in a theater near me. What?
0: Well, it is only playing in two hundred fifty theaters.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> Sharknado got a wider <laughs> re-release than Old Boy.
0: That's still fifty theaters per state on average. <laughs> Maryland Actually, it big. might
1: have been. It might have been. I just didn't. I didn't look. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> but I didn't see anything. Like, I like usually kind of see what's coming out, and I didn't see anything. But I don't know. Maybe I just didn't search hard enough.
0: Sounds like you didn't. But again, you were working. Uh, you were very busy, I know. I was. Putting that overtime.
1: <laughs>
0: now, I didn't get to see it because while working on my brakes, I accidentally snapped my brake line. So, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the theater that I was playing at was not the one that was five minutes up the road. It's the one on the other side of town, which is like $30 Uber drive just there, not back. So, yeah.
1: Yeah when you uh texting me about your brake line you were just like oh yeah by the way just just stop my brake line And I'm like why are you so nonchalant about this <laughs> it's just very matter of fact and you're like well it's not when I was driving I was like I would guess not because
0: <laughs> you'd probably be
1: <laughs> in more trouble
0: <laughs> yeah well I, it's something that I can fix so I'm not I'm not too upset about it and I say too upset because I was still Upset, kind of frustrated. Like it ruined my night. Like I went to bed early. I said, "Screw this. I'll. I'm just gonna start tomorrow, and just <laughs> go from there." That's a problem for
1: future, Brian.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yeah. I. Now, my other friend, I texted and said that, "Hey, I snapped my brake line." He called I me. Mean, uh, he texted me all worried. He's like, "Wait, are you okay?" Because he thought I snapped it while I driving. I was like, "No, no, I was working on the brakes and the moving the caliper around and end up snapping it." Still sucks. I mean, it sucks less, you know, because I didn't go down a hill into an orphanage or something.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Like just the way you presented it to me, I was like, I mean, he's definitely fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he would be talking about this if he was like in a hospital bed somewhere.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, the only difference would be that I would add a picture. Yeah. Like, hey, snap my brake line and my neck. Pick. <laughs> Now, before we get into this movie, just know, as always, the second portion of our uh, show is going to have the spoilers. This first portion is going to be absent when it comes to spoilers. So don't worry if you haven't seen this film, you can proceed ahead with no spoilers. This is a movie that has reached quite an acclaim. This movie has a 8.4 on IMDb, which brings it to the 73rd movie of its top 250 movies on IMDb. It has a 83% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 94% audience rating, and it is in the 1001 movies to watch before you die. Caitlin, what do you got?
1: So this won several awards from various festivals and film critics associations, both in Asia and abroad. It won the Grand Prix at the 2004 Cannes Film Festival, where it was praised by Quentin Tarantino, who was actually chair of the jury at that time. It was nominated for the Palme d'Or, but it did not win that one. And actually, uh, Bong Joon-ho with Parasite was the first Korean director to ever win the Palme d'Or. But it was critically appraised, many praising its action sequences and for its themes and role as a revenge thriller. Uh, In general, like I said, it was pretty well received. There were a couple reviews that said that this film was overly nihilist, and some had um, other negative reviews stateside here in the U.S., but overall, like I said, it, it did pretty well. In 2008, Empire named it number 64 of the top 500 movies of all time, and it has made many best of lists regarding best cinema from South Korea. It was the fifth highest grossing film in Korea in 2003, and it grossed 15 million worldwide with a budget of 3.2 billion won, or about $3 million US dollars.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I expected those negative reviews uh, even when finishing the film. I knew this was going to be kind of mixed. And like I said, only 83% of uh, the critics actually like this movie on Rotten Tomatoes, which I mentioned I was going to talk about Rotten Tomatoes too on another show. This may be one of our more uh, more of our appealing episodes to a wider audience. So just to let people know how really how like Rotten Tomatoes works, cause a lot of people get it confused. I did for a while. And it doesn't mean that all the critics like averaged out what their score came to at 83%. It means 83% found the movie to be you know, above, above rotten to at least be fresh while 17% found this to be unfresh. So you can have all these people, that whole 83%, they could have just said, yeah, it's a, I give it a 65%, but it gets an 83% because they're above that line. So you really, you're only averaging out two scores. It's either fresh or it's unfresh. Or rotten. Of course, or rotten. (laughs) Unfresh, rotten. (laughs) Yeah, certified. I don't know if you get certified rotten. You do get certified fresh when it's over 70, 75%. But it's still a good indicator of how people feel about the movie. And, and you know, we use it as well to tell, like, all right, is this is it worth putting this movie on? That's why I also use IMDb, because IMDb is actually an average score. Okay. Though it's, um, that one's users. So certain films, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Looking at You, <laughs> I I wouldn't really trust that.
1: Yeah, a lot of times I look at Letterbox reviews, but not the score to kind of get a general consensus of how it's gonna be. But also letterboxes is the one that's that's users, not critics. So it, it sometimes can be a little bit more difficult navigating that to find out if something's a good film or not.
0: Yeah, like I have like a whole spreadsheet put out. I have a board with threads coming down, <laughs> like really trying to figure out should I put this movie on. It takes about a movie to pick the movie.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: And this movie, what is it about? I think a lot of people have heard about this movie. I don't know if everyone knows like really what this movie is about. I didn't know fully what was it about, uh, so I did go in kind of like half blind with this. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my like, I was trying to figure out if my tinnitus just acted up or Ooh. if there was some feedback it, <laughs> was, it was very sharp and sudden. That's why I just paused.
1: <laughs> I'm hoping it went away. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, no, the tonight is still gone, but I know it's tonight. It's not oh, feedback. Yeah. So we're good. Technically, mm. physically, eh. <laughs> this movie is about a man who is mysteriously captured and he is placed in somewhat of a cell for 15 years. And one day he's just released. He He's just let go. So now he's on this revenge trip, not only trying to make the person who did this to him pay, but also trying to figure out what, what did I do, man? Like, why was I kidnapped for 15 years? He's like, yeah, I'm not that great of a guy, but God dang, 15 years? So he goes out and we got this mystery and revenge story. It's not so much an action film as I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, same.
0: This was more like uh, more like his other films, honestly. More like Decision to Leave, more of a mystery there.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew that this was going to be a revenge thriller and I knew about a certain scene involving an octopus, but I remember that I was pretty blind going into I didn't this. know about
0: the octopus. The octopus just showed oh, up really? me. Oh, really? Okay. I was like, oh, look, at octopus. Oh.
1: <laughs> I think I actually first learned about it when I was doing research when we were doing our Handmaiden episode.
0: Oh, yeah. He's got a thing for octopuses like uh, Denise Villanueva has a thing for spiders.
1: <laughs>
0: well, Caitlin, what did you think of this film?
1: So I was a bit busy this week like brian said i was gonna say unprofessional uh but i was a little bit late watching this one so this is i did watch it earlier today and it is still pretty fresh in my mind now this is i think the third film of park chan books that i've watched this year and i think his fourth film that i've watched overall um the first one i watched was stoker And then I've seen Decision to Leave because that just came out last year and we did our Handmaiden episode, of course. So I was uh, pretty excited to watch this one, being a little bit more familiar with his style. I do have some mixed feelings on him as a director as a whole based off those past three movies. But I was curious to see what this one was going to be like being an earlier work from him. And, (sighs) There's a lot to unpack with this film and there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff we talk about in spoilers. So I'm going to obviously save my opinion on certain things till then and try to kind of just sum it up in this portion here. But this is a film that I didn't really like and I think that there were parts of it I appreciated. I appreciated a lot in its construction. Um, the cinematography was good I think a lot of things were just well done uh, directing wise but there are some issues of the script here for me and even greater than that I think that the way that it treated its female characters and um some issues of gendered and sexual violence in this film were just abysmal and it really just brought down the film so much for me because uh, it is very, very much a large portion of this film and a large part of the plot here, and I, I just did not like it.
0: I know you love your Dutch angles. I was like, Caitlin's loving this movie right now. <laughs> yeah, I again, this felt like a first-time kind of movie when it came to a lot of the cinematography. Though I thought it worked for most of the part. I don't know what it is with their like, you know, their first movies that everybody loves to do Dutch angle. Everybody thinks that's real cool. I mean, it it, it, it can work out, but other times I'm like, you just hold that camera still? Just straighten it out. But that gives the movie, you know, this movie does have a lot of style to it. Uh, I was kind of expecting that style, probably not as much as I thought I was going to get, because again, I thought this was an action film, and it wasn't until like, you know, 20 minutes in, I, saw, I thought to myself, I don't think I'm going to get a lot of action in this. And that was fine, because really what works in this movie is the mystery. Like why it's, you know, it's rare that you have a revenge film that you wonder What set this off? Usually, you know, we're with the protagonist, like, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's hunt down that antagonist. Here's like, all right, yeah, uh, let's make sure that person dies at the end. But also, what the heck happened? Like, Mm -hmm. again, 15, and it's not even just 15 years in a cell. Like, they go out of their way when it comes to accommodations and certain things that they do to him. That, like, this is somebody who really hates him and wanted to make uh, make him pay. Because uh, I didn't mention that in my synopsis, that also his he is framed for the the murder of his wife, and he's not he has no idea where his daughter went. So when he's released, he's like, I don't even know where to look for my daughter, and I know my wife's dead. Now I also have mixed feelings with this movie. My biggest mixed feelings, or my biggest kind of negative negative view with this, was the treatment of women in this movie. I'm with you on that. That was in my notes at first. Like, it, you can kind of see, like, how my my thinking process as the movie went on in my notes. Because mm-hmm. at first yeah, I said, same. this seems kind of, I don't want to say problematic, uh, but this seems, this, this has issues. And I thought to myself, well, Charles Manson also has girlfriends. <laughs> so this isn't necessarily unbelievable in that this is happening, but it's unbelievable in the coincidence. Now... That, and then we get into how rushed this whole romance is between them.
1: Between him and uh, another character that he meets at a restaurant named uh, Midu. Midu? Yes. Yeah, is.
0: between him and Midu, I was like, this is... Like, she just seems unreal. Like, very yeah. unreal. Not, like, unreal, like, extraordinary. No, like, just unreal, like, I, I'm not with this.
1: Bad writing, unreal, yeah. But-
0: yeah. But then... The story develops and something changes, and so does my view with that. I think everybody's kind of view changes in a way, whether it be for the better or not. Uh, as far as the the relationship, that's the way the movie is supposed to work. However, I do still kind of have mixed feelings about it. I think they could have done, like you said, better writing with it. But man, like when it got to that point where like I'm just writing this off, like I'm writing off this whole subplot, like this, like just a big chunk of this movie is just gonna get a whole a whole knock on my on my score system here or I don't even want to say score system because somebody's gonna call my bluff and like actually want to see that developed and it's it's not an official system.
1: <laughs> we try our best.
0: Yeah we try our best. I got I don't understand it. There's something happening in my head while I'm watching it. Now it does it does help with it. Like I didn't I didn't hate it like I was. I was hating it. Mm. But I man, the way it develops though I we're gonna talk about in spoilers I I see like why a lot of people continue talking about this movie, and it's more about that development and that twist that I I didn't even know was going to be present. Usually, these kind of things get uh, spoiled for you.
1: So I like predicted the twist pretty quickly in the film, actually.
0: Oh, okay. You, yeah. Hey, so better it wasn't be on that it really one. Really
1: though. a surprise for me. I was hoping I wasn't right, and then yeah, we'll go more into that later. But yeah, I I predicted it really early on.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, for me, I I knew something was up. So when it happened, I was like, okay, that makes sense. But I wasn't even really trying to figure out anything. I'm just going along for the for the ride on it. So it caught me. It caught me by surprise. Uh, kudos to you, though. Uh, no sarcasm.
1: I don't know. I didn't think it was. I thought it was pretty on the nose. I don't know. We'll talk about it in spoilers. We'll talk about it in spoilers.
0: I'll give you that junior detective badge of the day.
1: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> This was, like I said, it was one of his earlier works, and it was before he actually employed a female writer for his films. So he has uh, Seo Kyung, Chung Seokyung, who helped write The Handmaiden, Decision to Leave Lady Vengeance, um, so all of his more recent works. So at the time, he did not have a female writer, and, and you can definitely tell.
0: Yeah, you can tell that, and a female writer would have definitely been able, or possibly been able to, to help out here. I think we talked about it during the handmaid. I was like, just because it's written by a woman doesn't mean it's automatically mm-hmm. going to be better, but it better chances, most definitely.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, like I said, I'll I'll talk more about that in the spoiler section because a lot of it is tied to spoilers and certain events that happen in the film, and I don't want to go too much into that right now.
0: I also thought the, you know, talking about writing, I thought it also kind of started the drag, um, kind of yeah. in the third of the film probably like the first half of the third the first half of the last act and go
1: ahead I say but the writing structure in general I mean I appreciated the structure at first when we first opened with the film because it kind of starts like in the middle of things and then we kind of go back so it kind of has this frame narrative film and our, our main character here he is the narrator for this film and a lot of it is him telling his story which does come back around but a lot of times, though, because of this, sometimes it was a little bit too much telling and not showing at times. Uh, sometimes it, towards the end of the film, we do get a bit of a villain monologue that went on a little bit too long. So sometimes it just was a little bit, uh, I don't want to say amateur, but, but a little amateur, which I get for a first film.
0: Well, not his first. Well, not his first, first film, film, but it's a
1: uh, his, uh, early film. Earlier. Side. Not a first film, but an earlier film compared to his his later ones.
0: Yes, most definitely. That narration—it was starting to get to me. I think that's at first I was like, "Okay, we're going on a while," especially if we're spending a lot of time with them. I was like, "Okay, I'm kind of understand the narration." And narration—hey, if you make it, you know, if it's some really good writing, still narration can hold up for a little bit, uh, especially when it's not narrating exactly what you're seeing, because we are getting a lot of his inner monologue. But there were some times I was like, "Man, can we?" Can I can I have some type of interaction, some kind of other storytelling device? And I think it's more so in that third act that I really started feeling kinda of tired of it. And I watched a film recently where I was the narration was killing me. So I wouldn't say it was bad as that one, which was Lore of War. And yes, yeah, with Nicolas Cage. Um kind of it's supposed to be one of those hitting gem underrated movies, actually getting a sequel. Uh I have mixed views on that one too. Or like pretty kind <laughs> gotcha. of middling views but one of the problems in that movie was the narration but i'll say this is better because the narration at least what was being translated was more intriguing but again it did go on for a bit that was starting to kind of starting to kind of lose it like you said show us something don't just tell it especially in a movie yeah the direction however was really good i it's cool because you see a lot of his uh a lot of the things that he kind of made for himself appear in his other in his later work in Decision to Leave, you can see the early direction of how he does his blending of flashbacks and adding the surrealism to them and blending it with the present and the past. And then also with Handmaiden's Tale, or is it Handmaiden's Tale or Handmaid's Tale?
1: The Handmaiden. There's no tale. The handma- <laughs>
0: it's not even the tail. tale. Where do- every time. The Handmaid. The <laughs> Handmaiden or the Handmaid? handmaiden <laughs> the handmaiden no tale she's not telling a tale in this one uh a lot of that like dialogue happening but we're seeing like we're seeing what's actually being spoken happened before what we're actually seeing right now we're looking at we're yeah. looking at the scene that has taken place after the dialogue of which we're hearing and yeah uh, that,
1: you, you can definitely tell that his like I wouldn't say experimental, but like his way of playing around with structure and what you hear versus what you see definitely is more mature in his later films.
0: Yeah, definitely. Which was really cool. That's why I like going back to some of these earlier films of directors who are known to have, you know, not, not, not always just a certain style, but innovation with their films. It's cool to see where, where he starts to really play with it. So overall, I mean, I, I did enjoy this movie. I did enjoy it. It dragged just a little bit for me, but the whole reveal, uh, I think really the ending, the ending for me worked a lot. It really, it boosted up some things that I was disliking. There is still a writing flaw or a couple of writing flaws in this movie, but for the most part, I did enjoy it. And as for the action scenes, I mean, everybody knows about the, the hallway, corridor, hammer fight, whatever you want to call it. That's how popular it is. That's like three different names. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. And yeah. there were some other good fight scenes in here as well. And there's some, there's some gore, and there's also, there's also some comedy in here. Again, Park has some, he has a, a odd sense of humor.
1: It is odd, and sometimes it doesn't work for me, but I can appreciate it at times.
0: Yeah, you just like you went there, you you did. Like I, I, I don't find it funny, but find it <laughs> respect. Yeah, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned, like, like the surrealism, because there are times that kind of seem, like, they just feel surreal. Uh, I think the hallway fight, uh, that's one of the things that this movie is really known for, because it's a one-shot quarter fight scene. Like, that, to me, really felt almost video game-like. Because you see him on one side of the screen and then he has a group of people coming to attack him on the other side and they're just kind of slowly inching towards him and he's just squared up with his with a hammer, right? And it did remind me kind of video game-esque.
0: Yeah, it's like one of those uh, 2D, uh, 8-bit beat-em-ups.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought of. And that scene wasn't originally supposed to be um, a-, a single shot. I think they had... This whole thing set up with like a hundred shots, like a whole bunch of shots. And it was just so grueling. They're like, all right, let's just just make it a wide and do it in one. But it still had several takes and definitely was a long filming process.
0: Yeah, I think it was three days to film, three minutes.
1: Mm -hmm. Which is wild.
0: Yeah. Also crazy because Children of Men, great movie. Uh, Their one shot scene was actually an accident as well. Like, wait, we just left the camera running. Oops, no, wait a minute, this looks awesome.
1: Yeah, that's insane because, you know, when it's, it looks so planned. It looks so planned out. So when you learn about it, it is pretty fascinating.
0: Anything else you want to say about the movie?
1: Yeah, something else that I think kind of added to that unreal quality is also just like the colors. Like I said, there's a really good uh, use of colors and lighting here. We talked a little bit about Midu. Uh, I'm sorry, I hope to make sure I'm saying the right name. Me-, me do, Yeah, Mido. So um, we talked about her a little bit. She's someone that he meets when he is released from imprisonment. And it's kind of at that point when he meets her that the colors in the film kind of become a little bit brighter. You see a lot of those, the Amelie type colors of the reds and the greens coming out when she's around and uh, when she shows up and it's definitely kind of seen a little bit more life to his world after he was in this like really bland, uh, very like muted color hotel room where he was captured for 15 years. And, and so the, the colors are really nice and they're vibrant.
0: Oh, I didn't notice that until you just said it. But yeah, that that is cool how, they, you know, they work on the colors to, I mean, yeah, it's always to set the mood and the tone of the film, but how they have it play into the story is really good. And I just remember one thing, why I kind of didn't see the twist coming at the end. And I don't know what to fault the movie or just my own intellect, but I did get confused at at one point. So I just kind of wrote off that that clue. And I just said, I don't know what just really happened, nor I don't know if I should know what just happened, but I'm just going to let it play out from here. And that is probably what took me, like why why I never even saw the the ending coming, because that one was... If I didn't write it off the way I did. But again, I mean, you seem to have guys, so I can't fault the writing, but it did go past me.
1: We'll have to examine that more in spoilers because I don't, I'm not sure what I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. It's, it's when he <laughs> tries to learn more about his daughter and they mention Evergreen.
1: Oh, I, I don't, I'm not sure I know about what you're referring to.
0: Yeah. But we'll talk about, spoilers. we'll talk about spoilers.
1: But, but going back to lighting, um, so, uh, I mean, like I said, this was a really good director of photography here, and something that they also did was they used a lot of green for for darkness and shadows, and because it was a tone that picks up well on camera, but also it's just um, a little bit more unsettling feel to it for viewers.
0: Yeah, it is. It is, and they do. I mean, the corridor fight is green. The actually, I think all the action scenes in this movie take place with green around.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an icky, unsettling color. It works.
0: Yeah, it does. It does, because the, these fights also they don't feel flashy. Yeah, you know, they're not. They're not vibrant Hollywood fights or stereotypical Hollywood fights. And they, yeah, they take place in these icky, ghastly settings.
1: Yeah, and I know that for uh, Choi Min Suk, that's the uh, main actor here. But he was sent to train with like a boxing champion, so like you can see kind of that boxing influence as opposed to some other more flashier styles.
0: Yeah, definitely, because he trains himself.
1: Yeah. Which I was going to wonder,
0: I I was wondering first how that works by like, uh, you know, 15 years, probably make up your own stuff. And also he was watching boxing on television and learning.
1: Yeah, that's true. Is it still plausible? Uh, Maybe.
0: (laughs) I mean, he was just fighting some two big gangsters, so maybe. And he was, he was getting beat up. It was more about his endurance than anything. And you can probably give that to his like, his mental strength, which from him not going completely crazy after 15 years. And him being on such a such a drive, I, I can see him just toughing it out on a lot of things.
1: Yeah, I can see that too. I, I will say I liked the character design of his character, like I liked his costuming and and the glasses. <laughs> I said it's a more iconic look than the Matrix, <laughs> but it's very yeah. It is a
0: it is a iconic look. I, I give that to the whole protagonist. He is, I think, it's an iconic protagonist. Uh, the best. I don't know about all that, but it is iconic. Just his hair, the glasses. He's in that suit, uh, and even the way that he's he's introduced. I'm like, he's kind of introduced in like this hardcore way. But the minute that he talks about his name, it shows him in a police station, stupidly drunk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I, from what I heard about Korea, they I didn't know they kind of had that much tolerance. Like I'm surprised. As long as he was there, and as much as they tolerated, I'm surprised. <laughs> anything else
1: uh not in our s- spoiler free section like i said I-, I did have a lot of issues with this movie uh, it's just kind of hard to talk about talking about it without spoilers but like I said, it's, it's, there's a lot that brings us down from its treatment of its female characters and also just some leaps it makes in the narrative um particularly towards the end with the twist. So it's not a movie that, while I'm I'm singing its praises for some of this stuff here, it's not a movie that overall, I would say, that would bring it up past the issues that I already have of it.
0: Yes, and then also, you know, just to kind of jump in front of anybody who wants to say, oh, well, why can't you treat feminine characters in, in this way? Or why are you harping so much on, like, the feminists? Uh, angle of it but I would say it's not just a mistreatment of female characters. it's just it's just a mistreatment and just bad writing for a character overall it just so happens that we see this way more with female characters in cinema
1: uh because
0: I think if a male character was written this way it would be it would be bad too
1: yeah but the reasons why I have issues are very gendered issues
0: okay I can see that
1: and it's not just one female character either even though this film does not have a lot of female characters.
0: <laughs> yeah, even I had a pause for them. I'm like, who else are we talking about? Her reflection? Like, I'm really trying to... I, I can think of one other female character, but I don't really know her mistreatment. So, But we'll talk about us boys. We'll talk about us boys. Yeah.
1: Let's
0: go ahead into the influence. Caitlin, what did you find?
1: So, this, of course, received an official American remake in 2013 from Spike Lee. And it also received an unofficial Hindi remake called Zinda in 2006. Uh, I haven't heard much about the american remake i thought you said that it wasn't as well received
0: no i remember hearing a lot of backlash about this film like i've been hearing about this this movie has been on my list forever oh boy the classic one 2003 and i remember in 2013 during his 10-year anniversary the first thing a lot of people were saying was why (laughs) like why are we remaking this Mm -hmm. film and then also you heard about spike lee which was kind of odd spike lee's not really known for Doing these type of films, not known for doing remakes.
1: It was originally supposed to be Spielberg, but then I, I don't know what happened there. But obviously, he no longer did it.
0: I can't even. Yeah, I could see, see. I could see Spielberg thinking about Shawshank Spielberg. I could. I could see it. I don't think certain things would have worked out as well. But it's just a movie that didn't need to be. It's one of those unnecessary remakes. And I remember hearing some backlash. And I remember I think I listened to a review about it. And just how it just didn't do this movie any justice. And it was very toned down.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I can see that. I know at one point they're talking about like a Parasite remake too. Like not everything needs to have an American remake to like just watch the original.
0: Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit too, more so in Significance.
1: Okay. Um, this also is part of Park Chan-Wook's Vengeance trilogy. It's like an unofficial, uh, unconnected trilogy. It it started off with um his movie Sympathy for Mister Vengeance, which preceded Old Boy, uh, and then Lady Vengeance came out in two thousand five, which succeeded it. Um, so this definitely has themes that, that Park Chan-Wook is drawn towards, but also has influenced his later work as well.
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to remember if I tried watching. I think I try to watch Lady Lady Vengeance, but then I found out that there's two movies before it. So then I was gonna, then I put it off, and I just never got back to it. But I'm um, really liking Park, so uh, I'm I'm gonna have to check out the movies.
1: Yeah, I'm the opposite. I've, I've had it on my watch list, and now I'm not so sure I want to watch it. <laughs>
0: we'll really talk about my feelings, decisions to leave.
1: Uh, so decision to leave wasn't my favorite movie. I really wasn't a huge fan of Decision to Leave. I appreciated things about it, but it didn't make me really want to watch more of it. And I liked The Handmaiden, but there's a lot of things that I'm now kind of recontextualizing about The Handmaiden after how this treats its female characters. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm not really liking Park Chan-Wook right now.
0: I'm actually with you on that uh, re- re-looking at it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about it in spoilers. But yeah, there is a scene in this movie... That made me look at a scene in uh, Handmaiden, and yeah, because we we talked about it, and now it's made me think, Mm -hmm. "Uh, I'm not too sure anymore.
1: Things that I was like, is it poor female representation because it's trying to be subversive and it's doing it on purpose, or does Park Chan-wook just have a fundamental misgrasp of females? (laughs) And I'm kind of starting to lean towards the latter. (laughs)
0: Decision to Leave, I think, did well when it came to females.
1: Uh, I, I don't, I honestly don't remember. That movie was, like I said, it wasn't my favorite, so it's not quite as strong in my memory.
0: Gotcha. What else do you have for influence?
1: So the corridor scene, I didn't really see too many like direct influences, but the corridor scene obviously made me think of the Daredevil hallway scene. Although I think that the Daredevil hallway scene is better.
0: <laughs> were you about to say the Dareway Devil scene?
1: <laughs> the Dareway Devil scene, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, which went on to actually they recreated that scene in each season of Daredevil. Yeah. So, so I don't
1: know so if that was an influence when they were choreographing that. It scene was. That. It was okay. That would make yeah. sense. And, and I, I agree, the also, Daredevil one is better. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's shot differently. It's both one takes, but they're both are shot so differently. And the fight choreography is so
0: different. Yes, I will say that it's not only the the one shot take that is so iconic about this scene, but it's also just the, the endurance of the protagonist and the almost sloppiness of its fight. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a dirty fight. It's not, there's not clean cuts. It's, it's a lot of, like, trying to get hits in when you can get hits in and taking breaths when you get the chance to breathe, which isn't long. And I think that's why I like the fight scene. And so those fight scenes are so great.
1: I noticed you said before that something you really like is like when your characters get tired in the fight because it kind of adds a sense of realism. And it definitely had that here, although it's definitely not acted (laughs) in this scene.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't say I was disappointed by the scene, but I think the scene was hyped up to a level of like I've seen now the scene be redone. That it was cool again to see like where it start. I think it still is a fantastic scene. Yeah, it's still an iconic mm-hmm. scene. I think it is something that it, it's good that a lot of action directors or anybody doing any kind of choreography is looking at to, to really see. But yeah, I, I love that the whole just seeing somebody just kind of get beat down, keep getting back up, that just fighting through it. So the hallway fight scene, there are some other movies and shows that have taken from it. Mutant Mayhem. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I saw recently in theaters. They actually, and they verified that they they took the the hallway fight scene and they kind of put it into their movie as well. There's actually this really good. Um, it's like a couple fight scenes and it's, it's a montage and the way it's stitched together and it's just kind of moving horizontal is really well done in in that movie. Uh, a lot of the animation is great, but that that's like when it really stands out. And during that montage, Donatello has a scene in a in a pool hall that is much like this hammer fight scene. And they went ahead okay. and confirmed that. Uh, you also have Superman and Lois. Now, it was not Superman and Lois fighting through a hallway together. The show Superman and Lois on CW. Season 2, Episode 6, if you want to check it out, uh, Superman, he has to fight his way through a hallway with guards. And it is that just looking over the corridor... And it's just that it's just the 2D landscape and he's fighting. He's fighting these guards. Of course, he's weakened. You know, they did the reverse UV rays or something. And but he still like has some of his power. So there's actually some really good hits he throws in that you feel like mm-hmm. that that Superman is it's really good. It's only a couple minutes. Uh, I was I was honestly surprised because it's a CW show. And from what I know, that's supposed to be more about the drama of Superman. Yeah. But no, it was it was great. And then possibly John Wick has taken. I've seen a lot of people compare John Wick and old boy, especially when it comes to just just running out of breath. Like Keanu Reeves, and he just he I don't he just keeps moving, but he looks tired. Like five yeah. minutes into the film, he never catches a break uh, until he passes out, and then he wakes up tired. So a, a lot of people said like, yeah, they, they can see the influence. I didn't find anything confirming that, but yeah, this is it's an iconic it's an iconic fight scene that. You know, people have tried to have tried to recreate, much like uh, the raid. The raid has some fight scenes that people have tried to create. Mm-hmm. It's funny. CW Superman and Lois took from Old Boy because Arrow took a scene and paid homage to it. Pretty much directly took it from the raid. Their hallway fight scene.
1: Gotcha. That's kind of cool. We'll probably have to to see if we can post some of these on our social media. Most definitely. Now I saw a little bit of influence. I thought with Squid Game a little bit because both. Uh, properties start with this like deadbeat dad who then becomes like i think it's squid game wasn't he kidnapped after wasn't he kidnapped originally
0: i um i i've never watched squid Uh, games
1: wow yeah okay Um, but yeah, they both are deadbeat dad. They have their vices and they end up being involved in a twisted game that really brings out like this darkness and humanity. So I I wondered if there was influence there or not, but I couldn't find anything direct.
0: Yeah. I wish I could say something. I still haven't watched the show. I know. (laughs) I know I've been giving crap, but guess what? Hey, maybe I think we said it before. Maybe we'll start a podcast of watching things that we have not seen, but no, that's going to take way too much time. You're going to get a podcast, like, once every six months. be I mean, semi-annual, <laughs> maybe.
1: The Squid Game was good, the ending, I did not like so much.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's on the list, along with other things. And I can't really say, like, I've been busy, because i watched some other shows. But I've been watching, like, some easy stuff. Like, Twisted Metal, I watched recently. And that, that was just pretty easy. It's 30 minutes. I put that on. Not, like, so obligated to watch the next episode. I have one more for influence, and that is Fresh. Is it me or the cell that he was in in Old Boy? Did it seem like a lot like the cell that she was in in Fresh?
1: I didn't think so. I thought it was more of an actual cell in Fresh, whereas this was just like a hotel room.
0: No, hers was like a hotel room. I mean, she had a bed on the what? ground, but I, I remember, wasn't there also like a bathroom section in there?
1: Like No, because he would the, have the to toilet. carry her out
0: to the bathroom. Or something. I
1: don't remember.
0: I'll have to take a look at it. I Depending what I find is whether or not I keep this in there. Because I didn't mean <laughs> to go back and look at it, but I forgot to. This is a significant movie as well. Uh, I kind of have a, not a long segment, but I kind of have something to, to talk about. So I'll give it to you first, Caitlin.
1: Oh gosh, I have a long segment too. I did want to talk about the significance as far as the social context here. Um, because this was a film that really helped, uh, propel Korean cinema's popularity, and this was long before Parasite. I know we kind of talked about how, like, right now, Korean cinema seems really much in the international lens with Parasite, but it even really started before that, uh, during something that would become known as the Hallyu wave. So, uh, the Hallyu is uh, it's a Chinese term, uh, but it really just means like a Korean wave. It's a collective term used to refer to the growth of Korean culture and uh, culture that was coming... Culture that was being exported to other parts of Asia and the international world. So something about this film is that when he's imprisoned in his hotel room, he does get a TV in his hotel room. So while our main character is imprisoned in his hotel room, he does have a television that he has access to. And we do see a variety of clips from cop culture, different things that were happening during the time of his imprisonment, many of which were political in nature. And a lot of them, you know, highlighted Korea as a democracy and highlighted its independence. So in the 1960s about, uh, there was actually a time of censorship in Korea. There was a former general president Park Chun-hee Who really had the nation under more of an authoritative rule. And films were limited to what they could be, could do. And they were limited to what kind of films that they could bring in. But by 1997, we also had a big financial crisis happening in Asia. And so that really kind of changed Korea's economic status. So we have a period of time where Korea is coming out of this financial decline and they no longer have a military censorship because that recently got done away with. That was repealed in 1988. So we have a time where Korea really started investing in the film industry and investing in just art culture in general and having ways to import that or export that to other parts of the world. And that was called the How Do You Wave. Like I said, I think many people who are familiar with like K dramas or K pop are probably going to be more familiar with that term. So during this time, then, movies like Old Boy were really allowed to flourish. Um, and you had a time that Old Boy, like we said, this is a film that has a lot of shocking factors in it. So it's interesting to see if that would have been a commentary to the censorship that came before. Uh, And it's kind of interesting. I posted something on our Twitter recently about Videodrome and and censorship and um, the Hays Code and all that. Because we're kind of right now talking about, there's been a conversation online about censorship because of Oppenheimer. Because Oppenheimer and its sex scenes being censored, not just apparently in different countries, but just in different places in general. And how censorship in general can can be a bit of a slippery slope for government control and government... um, yeah, government control over the film industry and also control over things that pertain to uh, female issues, LGBT issues, etc. So, it's an interesting societal context for that. But this film, it really did become an international success. Uh, and it was also released the same year as Bong joon Ho's film Murderies of Murder, which is also a pretty big acclaimed film. Uh, uh... It was a time... Well, yeah. We didn't like it. <laughs> But it is still pretty acclaimed, even though I I would not say I would recommend it. (laughs) Unless you just want a good beat down from the booties.
0: (laughs) The booties! Ah. The
1: booties.
0: (laughs) When they come on, you better run.
1: But its international success actually really kicked off with a UK release because there is a distribution label... That was known for bringing in East Asian horror films that brought it out. And then, like I said, it did well at Cannes. And then it received a limited theatrical release in the U.S. in 2005. But it also did really good in DVD sales after that. And I mentioned that this was a time when there was an economic crisis in the years prior. And a lot of scholars have also noted that this film talks about social inequalities as well. So it also is a reflection of that as far as the societal issues that were happening in korea at the time there's a character here that is kind of set opposite of our main character who is definitely wealthier he comes from a wealthier family and and you can tell that based on the way he dresses by the way he just is in general and you see our main character who is i would say more like more middle class to start with and then when he gets out of his imprisonment he has nothing and it really is a revenge tale, but it also in ways is an anti-revenge tale in the way that revenge isn't glamorized in this film. And at times that even the harder you fight to get this revenge, to get this vengeance, you you don't really go anywhere. Sometimes this film is a little bit more pessimistic in that sort of view. So it, it kind of shows that there's not a way to really climb out of this economic decline. So there's an interesting point of view there from a huge societal standpoint, and it's kind of a lot to go over at once. (laughs) So I'll definitely be linking some articles that kind of go further into this as well on our social media, so you can have a little bit more detail there.
0: Great stuff, great stuff. Give it up for Caitlin Shires. (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually going to go ahead and bounce off of that a bit. So this did bring international attention not only to Korean films, because there's actually a collection of Korean films that did that, but also to uh, Park Chan-wook? Wook. Wook. Woke? Wook?
1: Not woke. (laughs) Park Chan-wook. Park (laughs) Chan-wook. And
0: yeah, that's, you know, this is his second film, but this is the one that really got him that attention. And like you said, this is kind of the first wave of Korean movies. We're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a wave of Korean property right now. And... Uh, You also had a collection of films from not just Korea, but Japan as well. You had K-Horror and J-Horror going on the same time. You had Tale of Two Sisters, which was Korean in 2003. From Japan, you had Ring-Yu and uh, Ju-On. Then you had Old Boy. You had a movie called Shudder, which I forget that one's Korean or Japanese. So Old Boy is kind of seen as a horror movie. There is some horror in there. Uh, Of course, it kind of separately from these other films but what i found interesting is how you have this korean wave the first one back in the day the early 2000s the y2k of korean films and now you have the recent wave with korea and there's a little bit there's a difference when it comes to the approach from hollywood with these two waves and this is if this term wasn't so overused and used in the wrong places i would dare say this is a hot take because i didn't find much on this connected the pieces myself all right but this is a you heard it here first maybe i don't know you drew your own conclusions but back then hollywood hollywood's response to bring it over here was to basically bring it through a filter it was to remake them all those films i uh i just announced all of them got remade into some cheap horror films
1: Tale Two Sisters did too? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that one.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to say what it is, but I kind of don't at the same time because I actually watched the American remake without knowing that it was a remake of this movie. So when I watched the Tale Two Sisters, I didn't know the ending and it has a pretty big twist in it. So when I finished it in the twist, I was like, oh man, that that was shocking. And I said, wait a minute. I've seen this twist before. I've seen this twist done, subparly done. And I was like, "Oh yeah, it's that movie." And I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's because they were totally they they totally changed the name." I don't even think I remember the name of what it was called. Oh, yeah, but Shutter did his. Oh, Shutter was awful. That remake was bad. Uh, oh, ring you, you know it. the Ring, <laughs> the Grudge. I like the Grudge. They too. <laughs> they all got remake, and they got remakes quick. Yeah. Ring uh, Ring, you came out 1998. It was remade, I think 2002, 2003. Uh, ju got remade into the grudge like within two years, I think, two or four years. So that, that used to be Hollywood's approach, and none of this met any kind of critical acclaim. I think they did make enough of their money back to where they could justify doing more of these because you had a cheap horror budget and people went out and saw them because, you know, we didn't really have that many standards back then. But with this new wave, Hollywood's approach and more of the studio's approach, whether it be, you know, the big Hollywood studios or the uh, streaming studios that some are owned by, the Hollywood studios, uh, their thing now is just no filter. They're just redistributing and they're distributing more of this. I noticed Netflix, because I was looking up some Korean movies to watch and I was like,
1: they have a lot. I see
0: that a lot of these, like Netflix has a hand in, in some way, when I was looking up the trailers. Mm-hmm. So with the success of Squid Game, you know, they're like, hey, they didn't try to remake Squid Games, though I think they may be same with parasite they're thinking about remaking it but everybody's like when we saw parasite make the acclaim it's, like, it's just kind of telling people that we don't need it remade it's fine the way that it is so now they're like well instead of remaking them why do all that extra work when we can just give them the money and then just turn the project around and we can make money in both countries because mm-hmm. no koreans are going out and seeing a korean remake Like it doesn't yeah and, I, and then you know that's for any country if you did a korean remake of a great american movie not gonna watch it unless you like go way out there like if you make a bollywood remake of something yeah maybe i'll watch it all right if you did a bollywood remake of I'm trying to think of the last thing i watched if you made a bollywood remake of oppenheimer i'll go see it
1: <laughs> now that would be interesting
0: or a, Bolly- yeah. Ooh, a bollywood barbie <laughs> that would be good that'd be
1: cool But yeah, like Netflix for it's all its flaws and whatever, whatever your faults are on Netflix, like one thing that it really is unmatched when it comes to its international catalog, like not just for films that they're putting their money in, but just in general. And you see that across the board. It's great. Well,
0: it's also because they basically have like two businesses. They have multiple. So there are multiple Netflixes out there. And you can play around with your VPN and you can watch it from different countries because you can watch Rick and Morty uh, on Netflix outside of the country. Mm -hmm. But in in the States, you know, you can only see that, I think, on uh, HBO or Hulu, one of the two. I forget which one. Hulu. Yeah. So, yeah, it really, I think HBO too as well. Because HBO has a lot of the Adult Swim programs. So, yeah.
1: Ah, okay. You mean Max?
0: Max. My bad. (laughs) And and what also what I find interesting about this is that I think this is another this this supports my argument that we are not declining when it comes to uh, when it when it comes to our current movie selection and catalog and creation of properties. A lot of people are saying, "Oh man, where we have all these remakes right now, nobody can think of anything original." Like this isn't that's not new. You're just seeing what's in front of your face. And back in the early two thousands. Instead of remaking our Disney properties and bringing in our, our legacy sequels, we were remaking Korean films. And they were yeah. awful. Most of them mm-hmm. uh, are, Actually, The Ring is supposed to be good. And The Shudder has a fan out there. We know that now.
1: <laughs> I uh, wouldn't say it was good. <laughs> it was definitely not good. It was definitely very bad. But I liked it when it came out in whatever year that was.
0: <laughs> and a lot of them spawned a lot of sequels. Ring you I think, made five American movies. They, yeah, they had I one grudge, that came out a couple years ago. Uh,
1: yeah, they did. I mean, The Grudge had two of them. I was thinking in Japan, because I recently watched, um, uh, oh gosh, it's Sadako versus whatever the girl from The Grudge is called, but it was like the ring girl and the Grudge girl, the Juwan girl, just fighting each other. <laughs> what? That sounds... It was, it was great. And oh, uh, so... actually, um, Chainsaw Man, you know how in their like, opening where they have like references to many movies... Yes. They actually reference that movie.
0: Oh, yeah, I do know one. I, at first that fight sounded exciting? and now it doesn't. You have some little pale sheltered boy fighting some long no, hair like the woman. The woman? Oh, the woman from the Grudge? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know there the was boy a boy in the Grudge.
1: The, what? The I thought boy, the boy was always the thing. No, he's not the villain. Oh, what like is he? Men. What's his deal? He's just a little boy.
0: <laughs> Why does he look like that?
1: So in the Grudge, there's a father that comes home, drowns a little boy, and kills his wife. So the wife is the main villain who goes. Who's like ah?
0: Oh, and the boy, he's just yeah. Cut
1: that out, cause spoilers for the Grudge. I guess
0: that the ghost went ah.
1: Yeah.
0: So I I found that uh yeah this again interesting when we look at these movies and man, who would thought you know old boy, we're looking at both the the social significance of it and, and the way that it, it helped assist in Korea but also how it affected here in America as well throughout decades we're here yeah. talking about the early 2000s and early 2020s
1: yeah Sadako versus Kayako Kayako's is the, the grudge the girl from the grudge and Sadako okay. is the ring
0: eh still a I don't know just two unkept chicks fighting each other
1: <laughs> I liked it <laughs> Uh, I mean I, I watched it on a bad movie night but I still liked it. <laughs> Although I'm team I'm team Kayako cuz I'm more of a grudge fan cuz I haven't really seen the the ring.
0: I've seen the ring U, which is why I haven't seen the ring cuz the <laughs> ring U was boring.
1: Oh really? Not scary
0: at all. That, and that was uh. my problem too cuz I was like I want to watch J hard get some scares in cuz everybody talked about J hard man. That's the real that's the real horror. You want you don't want to sleep at night? You watch some J hard No. I've seen some J horror films and The Audition i was coleman can attest if he can remember it at all uh the audition was that was disappointing
1: i still have that on my list to watch but i, I am hesitant because i know you said that
0: yeah that was i don't know maybe you'll see it differently. maybe i'll see it differently i think we probably have to watch that
1: yeah but it'd be grudge, like in the
0: mood for love for me
1: yeah the grudge remake though was my intro to horror like that was my first real horror movie that i ever watched
0: I remember The Ring like kind of interesting me, but I still wasn't into horror movies at that time, so I didn't watch mm-hmm. it. No, my mom really liked it, though. And I say, you and my sister can go ahead and watch that. <laughs> I already have trouble sleeping, so I'm good. <laughs> Who would you recommend this to?
1: Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I guess I would recommend it to cinephiles. I, I think that definitely there is a specific type of audience that will enjoy this. Um, Definitely not one you want to watch with your parents or anything like that or, like, suggest to someone who might be more on the conservative side, but uh, there's an audience for it, (laughs) obviously.
0: I would recommend this to kind of in between, leaning more towards the general audience who likes their action films. They like Korean action films. They like Korean... uh, they They like foreign films... Uh, somebody wants a, you know, kind of that uh, a revenge thriller that leans more into the mystery. It's kind of something I have to put in like a disclaimer, though, but like, hey, just watch this, but just know that this isn't right. And yeah, there's there's things here for cinephiles to go ahead and watch. And I think Park is one of those directors that cinephiles conversate about and would want to want to see more of. All right, well, we're gonna go ahead. And get into the corridor of spoilers. We've been trying to fight them off for a while, but they just the elevator just rang up and yeah, they're everywhere. So we're just we're just gonna we're just gonna get into it. So if you have not seen this film, stop here. Go ahead, watch it, come back. If you don't care about spoilers or you already seen this movie, come on through. Caitlin, what do you want to bring up first? I mean I think we both know where we want to bring up the spoilers. <laughs> uh so yeah, the sexual uh, pretty much sexual assault that occurs in this film
1: Which one? <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Which the one? The one that
0: really got me, the one where I was like, "No, this is this is done." Like she should one have stabbed him. Two, she should have like been like, "Hey, if I'm even going to continue with this person, I need to have another uh, like another person with me, another uh, somebody as a safety." Uh, but when she gets assaulted in the the bathroom, and okay. he just kind of okay. loses it. I was like, "This is no, that's the line. And you crossed it like I understand, you know, you're trying to portray him, you know, because, you know, we have that line in the movie, you know, even being a beast, do I not deserve to stay alive? And he's pretty much set to like these animalistic ways because he's been in trap for 15 years. And that's probably why she didn't want to go ahead and stab him. She understood that. But still, you have to take into account your safety. There's got to be things set up after that incident. And that incident has to be addressed. More mm-hmm. than just uh, I don't know what came over me.
1: And what followed was a lot of internalized misogyny, right? Because she's like, "Well, I understand because I invited you to my home. Of course, you're going to expect it. And it's, and I do like you, so it's really on me for saying no." And I was just like, "Oh gosh," because oh. like, I, I, like she honestly believed that. Like she was rationalizing it and saying it's okay. And she's like, "Okay, well, at one point, I am going to want to do it, and I might, I might resist you, but you just, just give it to me, even though I don't want it." I'm like, what the hell is going on here? What is this yes. dialogue?
0: That dialogue was awful. Just, I'm going to say no, but just give it to me. I'm like, what is up with this goddamn rape fantasy here? Mm-hmm. And like and- these just absurd, like male sexual or anybody's sexual fantasy making their way into the films and nobody else going, um, hey, buddy, you want to come over here a second and kind of explain all this?
1: Yeah, and even when they do finally have sex, it still continues. She's like, this is really painful, but I'm enduring it for you. And it's just very, and he's just, he doesn't seem concerned for her faults or feelings at all. We keep seeing, the film keeps saying, oh, they're in love. uh, But I think he hates her. <laughs> like, he genuinely seems to hate her through this whole film until a certain twist at the end. And he's just awful to her. Completely awful.
0: It seems more like a ownership than anything mm-hmm. because he does yes. get mad when people touch her and do her wrong. But even the way like he locks her up in the cell, it, it, it seems like it seems like ownership or when he gets mad because somebody had touched, not because somebody had tied her up to a bed and assaulted her, but because they had touched her breasts. It seems mm-hmm. like a lot of, a lot of ownership more than anything. And yeah, her saying I have to pease you and I'm am enduring it. It's like, yeah, I get it. You know, hey, spoilers are up. She's under hypnosis, but it's not, the hypnosis isn't, even this movie suggests that, it's suggestion, it's not hypnosis. They only put the pieces in so that they can fall a certain way, but how you guys fall is still up to you. So it's Mm -hmm. like, all right, if this isn't hypnosis, you're trying to tell me this is like a way that a person just naturally is? And granted, yeah, yeah, there are some people there, but hey, you certain kind of coincidence and movie world that you can only go so far.
1: Yeah and she's just constantly tied up. He he writes on her stomach, so she's objectified in that way. Uh she's got her boobs out at one point when someone has her tied up and are and assaulting her and it's just like constant. It's constant in this film with
0: her. Yeah, you never really see that like okay, that love is supposed to be there, but I don't see it. You you keep saying it. Again, this movie says a lot, but it's not it's not there. Yeah.
1: So finally, at the end, we have this reveal that she is actually his daughter, which, gross. Park Chan-wook loves incest for some reason, which I don't understand because Doesn't? Stoker Stoker had an incest plot as well, between a niece and an a uncle. It wasn't acted upon. Uh, it has a scene where she's masturbating to her uncle, but...
0: Yeah, this is like when you start to get in that territory where you start to question the director's fantasies and... Mm-hmm. Just there, like how much of this is bleeding over from the page? Oh man, this just just came out, it was just written like that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Y- like g- it's like if it computer. was
1: one film, but two films now I've seen that featured incest plot lines of his. So I don't know. But but like I said, like he's really rude and bad to her this whole entire film until she he learns that she is his daughter, and then it's oh my sweet pea. Oh my poor baby. I love you so much. Don't don't look in the box. And so like his whole attitude switches. And it kind of just reminded me of that, oh, you shouldn't treat women like this cuz they could be your daughter. No, you shouldn't treat women like this because women are people, period. It doesn't matter if they're your daughter, your your niece, whatever. But like that whole switch up between him just irritated the hell out of me. Yeah,
0: you know, like I said, it kind of made it I don't want to use the term made things better I, I mean i guess it did because things were already like really bad for me like i was like i'm i'm done with this but it did kind of improve things not to a point to where i liked it but to a point where i don't know i, I wasn't as uh it, it, i didn't have as much sustain upon it as i did originally i, I still think it's very I, th- I still think it's very flawed writing i think there's a lot of problems with it I think it's questionable the kind of the mind behind it. Honestly, it, it yeah, it's just so much of it. Like you could have you could have wrote this better. That's the that's the thing too is that none of this had to happen for story. Like you could have you could have wrote them actually falling in love. You could have actually wrote him being somewhat of a nice person. Especially when you hear that he's like a womanizer of two hundred seventy people. Like okay, how are you doing this if you were such like. You're bu- you're beyond just an aon and a jerk. I know everybody likes a bad boy, but you're you're an animal. And again, they, I think they're trying to play on that that beast. Like if I'm a beast, am I not allowed to be alive? But mm-hmm. you don't need to put it that much over. Like you're just you're one step behind just giving them tusk at that point.
1: Yeah, I wrote in my notes. I may be a beast, but don't I have a right to live? I said no. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> because he's just awful he's just awful and like if they had actually fallen in love like at least then i feel like the plot twist and his like kind of reconciling of it would have made more sense and why they were going after her in the first place like it just it, like it wouldn't have changed anything like if they had just had him actually
0: nicer yeah, this reminds <sighs> me so much of something else that i've seen before i feel like recently no not recently something i've seen before though where it was just like why is this person with this person and then all of a sudden you're going to tell me that they're in love at the end of it this now i already don't like it when people rush in love in a movie especially because it's uh when the movie doesn't focus in it i think there are a lot of movies out there where i believe in the love by the end of the film but we're focused on the romance uh, that's the problem with the matrix i think the matrix they fall in love too quickly especially when true love is the mm-hmm. solution uh but is with that I'm like, alright, you know, they didn't have the time for the movie, but this, I understand you don't have the time, but even what you filled the time with doesn't make sense and is, again, it's ugh. Mm-hmm. And as far as the incest, like, I'll give it to the you, man. You're bold. You're bold to put your protagonist in that certain situation. I think that does take a lot from a writer because as you're writing for somebody, the protagonist, somebody that the audience is supposed to be cheering for or at least be on the ride with, you want them to have some sort of not always redemption, but you want them you want the reader to continue uh having an attachment to them. And it is bold when you go into these these directions, especially when it's not just killing. Killing your protagonist is easy. Now, making it that your protagonist had an incestuous relationship with their daughter, that's bold. I give you credit for that. But you could have you could have done your writing better in between the setup and the resolution. Though I did like mm. the res I did like the twist.
1: I'll give no credit to it because it just sounds like I've complained about student films before, how that's just glamorizing nonstop suicide and all these other edgy topics to be edgy and for sensationalism, and I feel like that's what this was. And then talking about the the reasoning why uh, all this happened to him in the first place is because he, he viewed an incestual moment, which was actually rape, let's be clear uh our blade villain raped his sister it doesn't matter if she appeared to be liking it after she said no 20,000 times and pushed him away that was freaking rape and I don't know if Park Chan Wilk realized that but it was rape and he witnessed that and he told it and this whole gossip spread about how she is a slut and then this caused her to believe in this phantom pregnancy and it caused her brother, who she was committing incest with, to believe in this pregnancy, and he killed her. So this whole entire movie, the whole entire film, is a film about female exploitation, about female trauma. And it made it entirely about male rage and male pain. And it's so exhausting. <laughs> it's so exhausting.
0: Yeah, I would to say every time that incest is brought up, it is just to be edgy. I
1: I think it was in this film.
0: Okay, so for for this film, you're not saying every time, because I was thinking like uh, the the big one everybody knows is Game of Thrones, and I think that one did it did it well. Was it to be edgy in some sort of way? Yeah, but I think it you know it does it does play into the story, It does work out. Uh, here, I don't know. Like I said, I I I think it was I think it was bold. Do I think there was a lot of problems surrounding it? Yes, I will say the the death of his sister appear to be mutual. Which doesn't justify anything, but I'll just say that that's the because she was like just let me go, you know, as he's holding her. I'm guessing they both believe that she was she was pregnant, so they kind of you mm-hmm. know let her let her die with it. I do like how day he thinks he's got upper hand on. He's like, you killed your sister. Look at these pictures. He's like, uh huh, yeah, sure, that that's cool. You found that out, but guess what? I got. I'm gonna turn these tables once again. That part to me was. I don't, that, that kind of made me, not laugh, but I, I found that to be cool. But yeah, no, don't get me wrong. There's, uh, I, I can't argue with anything you said, you know, and you definitely, the way the way you feel about it is definitely justified, it's all there. It's, the evidence is all there.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, the plot twist that I said I had guessed from the very beginning was that he was, she was his daughter. Um, because the very first moment they meet, it's like, oh, you look very familiar. or She feels familiar. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's his daughter. And then they start this whole relationship as like, I, I hope that's not his daughter. <laughs> I guess it's not her name's Midu. Not okay. I guess it's not his daughter. But why would they allude to that? That it was his daughter if it wasn't his daughter. And then, oh, but if it's his daughter. <laughs> so it was, I-, I thought it was pretty obvious from the first time they met that they were implying
0: that. Oh, I didn't get it the first time they met. Because what I was thinking is that she was set up by somebody to see him so i thought it was like Uh. part of the and i mean yeah it is part of the master plan but not in the way that i thought and then also what kind of confused me that i just dropped the whole daughter thing is that she went to find the adoption agency papers and found out the name evergreen and i got lost i was like i don't know if i was supposed to catch that i don't know if i was supposed to write that down but eh, i'm just gonna go with what i have and what we continue to see so it got me
1: there was a little bit of parts in the middle, and especially with like whoever she was messaging online, that I kind of got confused. Oh, yeah, that with. was confusing. It, okay. I was like, I was really confused about what was going on.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that was th- the way he reacts to it. I didn't, And then he said something about setting up a trap for her and found out that she was a traitor.
1: And I was like, What was the trap? <laughs> I'm so confused.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it, yeah. So I don't know if that's maybe we just didn't get it. I mean, you got one part that I didn't get. So, maybe that's not the writing's fault. Maybe that's just... You no, know, that was supposed to go over people's heads.
1: I don't know. There's also a part where he reconnects with his friend, Ju-Huan. And we I don't think that was ever showed on screen, was it? Like, he just kind of reappears. And I was like, how did that happen?
0: He was the one that picked him up when he was drunk at the police station. and then No, he no, I kidnapped. know that.
1: But huh? how did they reunite? Because we saw him then... And then all of a sudden he's talked to him about, oh, yeah, we're going to look into this with the computer. And it kind of seemed like there was missing a scene where they were reunited.
0: He knew that he worked at an Internet cafe. Yeah, but he, we didn't
1: really see the the scene where they were reunited is what I'm saying.
0: Oh, well, yeah, because they hugged it out.
1: Did they? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I missed that.
0: Yeah, he he went to the Internet cafe and he saw him like he looked up because at first he just told him something because he thought he was another customer. And then he really looked at him. He's like, oh, man. And they hugged and. No, he was like, I missed you. I was wondering what happened to you. I thought you were dead.
1: Oh, I must have somehow completely missed that scene. Because I just saw them looking into the whole like her chat thing.
0: Oh, yeah. I was
1: like, where did he come from? Like, because I was like, isn't that guy from the beginning? How did he come back? (laughs) Yeah, I just I just completely missed that.
0: Do you remember when there were like 50 options for emails? Yeah. That's what I was looking at. That's what I was really paying attention to because I was totally lost. But I was like what the heck email is, email sending that, is that? And I just remember growing up, man, like every website you went on had it, asked you like, hey, you want to sign up for, you know, you want to make an email with us? Like ask.com had an email. Yeah. Uh, spoilers. I mean, really, that's the big one to to talk about. Uh, the hypnosis, the hypnosis is much like movie hypnosis. I'll give it to them that they oh, so said it's more suggestion than total trance, but it is like, Alright, this ain't the way it works, but I like how you try to kind of work your story, not not fully relying on it, even though, again, it's still far. apart. Because- <laughs> I thought it was fully
1: relying on it. I thought it was fully relying on this leap of this hypnosis, which they expected to work a certain way, and it worked in different ways in different scenes, and just to move the plot along to where they wanted it to go. It was very convenient, very, very convenient, and I thought that was completely poor writing.
0: I thought it was convenient, but I'd say that like full hypnosis would be when you see this girl, you'll fall in love. They, they said they couldn't do that. But what they could do is when she touched your hand, you fall asleep. And they kind of just they set the circumstances and they acted it how they would naturally act it out. Granted, fortunately for them, their second subject, his daughter, is, has something wrong with her to where this kind of thing was acceptable. But other than that, it wasn't the full, it wasn't a sleeper agent.
1: Yeah, they're both kind of just like, oh, you both just happen to be easy to influence. It must be genetic.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, it's still, it's still some movie hypnosis, definitely. <laughs> but it isn't like you, you've been under a trance this whole time, and your name is actually da da da, and you da da da. Like, uh, it's it wasn't brainwashed, and then all of a sudden they say everything, and they get their memories back. Yeah, that I happened in you. Arrow. Actually, speaking of Arrow,
1: <laughs> one of the later seasons.
0: No, it was like the end. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's still Mm. out there trying to watch it. (laughs) Anything else you want to talk about while the spoilers are up? Oh, one thing, though. Sorry. We're talking about that whole reveal scene. He got him so good with that pacemaker button, though. (laughs) I know you were, like, done with the film by that point, but... Him pressing that, expecting him to die, and it just turns on the oh, video recording a, of them sleeping oh, together. Oh
1: gosh! I was like, "That's
0: cold blooded, right there."
1: Ah, uh, I was gonna be ill at that point, <laughs> maybe ill.
0: Yeah, if he wasn't already ill from choking on his own blood from cutting that tongue off, which some things—I mm-hmm. mean, there is some good writing in here. In that there is foreshadow. There are things that come back to each other. Uh, if you look up this movie, there is some symbolism there. I mean, just him cutting off his tongue can be related back to when he said that it wasn't your, uh, it wasn't something that got you here. It was your tongue.
1: What did you think of the ending when he visits the hypnotist again?
0: I thought that was the best direction they can go with as far as, um, I'm guessing this is the other woman you were talking about, but. Oh,
1: no, no. I was talking about, uh, Mido and, uh, the sister.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Barely consider her a character. That's not on me. (laughs) uh i i was really wondering i'm like how can they i'm like are they going to end this on this kind of note like this is this is beyond bleak this is is a pressing note especially this is our protagonist right here and yeah the antagonist is dead but they're they 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 pretty much won like they they won this so i was like man what what are they going to do to kind of give some sort of bittersweet ending to this and I think that I think that worked. I think the hypnosis was cool, like how she went ahead and suggested that. Though I think that was more of the full hypnosis movie hypnosis than anything else. But I did like it. It is super bitter, way more bitter than the uh, the sweet portion of the bittersweet ending.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't agree. I don't know how else it could have ended. Um, I I thought it was interesting the like separation of the beast versus him, and I. Uh, wasn't sure what that was like alluding to thematically.
0: I thought thematically it was just the whole again like like you said, it was the beast. It was the beast portion. Yeah,
1: I mean like the whole like thematically the idea of duality, um, that here you have the beast who is who is violent, uh, commits incest. <laughs> And then here you have him who is like the good side of him. So I I didn't, I was wondering if there was, what what was the deeper message and intent behind bringing up this idea of duality?
0: Yeah, I just saw it as like maybe having to, to have a, uh, what's it called? Not the will, but the, the right to live. You have to separate yourself from, from the beast. If you want to continue on living. And once you get to a certain point as the beast that's one way i can see it being interpreted
1: yeah i think i think i'm just looking for what the deeper meaning is past that i feel like that's a very surface level interpretation i just meant like okay
0: yeah i'm trying to nope nope don't got anything for you (laughs)
1: like as far as how it relates to the overall theme of revenge i guess like if it's. oh
0: yeah i guess if uh i have to really think on that one (laughs) Like I I could say something right now but it's really it's honestly it's going to be mostly me throwing out a bunch of filler words until I can get to where I'm trying to to actually form yeah. a cohesive thought.
1: Yeah, it's like I feel like I could do that but it's just going to sound like a ramble.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to sound like a ramble and I'm going to wrap it up and you're be like what was the last 3 minutes about?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like well if you look at the beast, all right, and then you look at a man, okay, you look at a beast and it's, it's set motives and goals of wanting <laughs> revenge, but beasts can't have revenge, so the man is the one with the revenge. So if not, the man and the beast, are they not one, thus combining the duality for singularity?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? <laughs> the man and beast man. are one.
0: <laughs> Neither can decide whether they should live or not. <laughs>
1: Which I So my one problem with that is that I feel like it gives him a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, I think it's very easy to say that the violence, the rage, you know, the thematic aspect of rage and male rage being embodied in, in the beast, being able to just forget that feels like a free pass for all the harm that he did,
0: in a way. Well, I think for a lot of the harm that he did, honestly, it was, I don't think he really did that much harm. Yeah, the whole grain of sand and a rock sink both the same.
1: No, I mean, to... I mean, he did do some harm. To, to Mito, in particular.
0: Yeah, to Mito, but we already, we already concluded that her, her preservation and her feelings, they aren't relevant to the story. Uh, so, like, him getting <laughs> any revenge... Because for him to have anything... To expect something to happen to him to pay for that, the movie would first have to recognize that wrong was done. But the movie doesn't recognize that anything wrong was done to me,
1: Uh, So that's where I, I am kind of grappling. Because I wasn't sure if it was trying to say... Like, sometimes, like, in a sexual context, it's more... You can refer to, like, an animalistic side or something. And so I thought the Beast might also be referring to, like, that kind of side of things as well. And, like, his, like, sexual violence being an aspect of the Beast.
0: I've seen movies like that and and also i've seen movies where i like i didn't see that and then i got told about it. i'm like okay i see it in this movie i see more of the the violence he did and more of the beast being him during that revenge portion rather than the 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 sexual uh the sexual motives of him of him just basically just turning into a man of revenge who will go down a hallway and beat people and torture and fight his way up all the way to this penthouse to uh to confront that man rather than just going ahead and leaving with what he thinks is his new love, I don't think the movie had any. I, I at least I don't see any evidence supporting anything that says like there was supposed to be a message about his his sexual his sexual nature outside of he's he was trapped for fifteen years. He's pretty much an animal now when it comes to sex. Mm.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was trying to make an overall point that all of it, all that happened in that period was just an aspect of this this, this beast and this male rage, like I said. Um, but like I said, with Parktown Wilkes' misogyny, I, I don't know in his films, if it's always intentional or not. I don't know if it's always subversive. I think towards the end of this film, I got to the point where it's like, no, this is not (laughs) intentional. This is not subverting anything. But that's why it makes me question his other films (laughs) too.
0: Could be subversion. It could not be subversion. I honestly don't know. Like if you tell me either way, I can see either (laughs) way. And now after watching this movie, the moment they were having sex at the motel, hotel, whatever, I thought, ooh, I don't think Handmaid's supposed to be subvertive. I think this was, once again, his sexual <laughs> fantasy being lived out.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, as far as his culpability in gossiping, I guess, about what the incest happened between the brother and sister, did he do wrong in that situation? In my opinion, yes, but not, I mean, like I said, that, that was rape. And he witnessed that and he witnessed incest and his reaction was to just gossip about it, make it just an offhand comment and then leave. <laughs> so, no, I don't think that he handled that in a way that he should have. But I don't, think, I don't he... think that the movie faults him for that at all. I think the movie just says, oh, he was bad because he was a gossip, not he was bad because he didn't actually do what he should have done as a person reporting this thing that he witnessed.
0: Yeah, it was more about the, the gossip. Portion yeah. than anything. I mean, also, he didn't see the sex portion in oh, his kid.
1: He, okay. I mean, he saw yeah. everything leading up to it. He saw what we saw.
0: Yeah, but you don't know if it still went that far.
1: I mean, it went far enough that it would still be considered sexual assault.
0: Oh, yeah, but it didn't go to the point where there was actual penetration. So, like, how his rumors spun out of control and, like, what he would actually report again, this is. What year? This was like the 90s, I think. Yeah.
1: I mean, I understand that this movie does not see it as rape. And I think that the, it was early 2000s. Early 2000s culture probably would not have seen this as rape either. Uh, but even at least just the incest portion of it, I think people in the 2000s still, if you saw incest, you might be a little concerned. <laughs> Although, did he not or did he not know that they were siblings?
0: I think he found out later that they were siblings. Because okay. he didn't really know them. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, I can see kids... Doing this and not knowing what to report, I couldn't I couldn't right now sit here and say that younger me would have done the hundred percent true thing and would have told the cops. I may have told somebody and then that may have got to the cops. Yeah. But I can't say that I would have made the right decision and well, it's told like the cops. Tell
1: an adult. <laughs> I,
0: I wouldn't even know if I would have seen it as like sexual assault or I would just be like, that was that was weird. Mm. And then like seek out somebody else's opinion, like do you know what I saw? Because I don't know what I saw. Like, is that what what happened? Uh, I
1: mean, he's he's. I don't. I was not quite sure what age he was supposed to even be here. To be honest, he looked like he was like <laughs> mid yeah, high school like, sophomore. Okay, high school age. You should probably know that. I don't know, but he's not a child. But also, my question is, how did Woo Jin even know that he started the rumor to, to begin with, or the gossip to begin with?
0: Uh, because she saw him in the mirror uh, in the window so i'm guessing he asked her, like hey who could who saw us and she would have told him like oh it was such and such uh okay now i think i don't know now, i think the movie like <laughs> yeah. i think the movie and also i think like as far as questioning it because it, it is like she's again you said like she yeah she says no and like yeah you should stop right there but it does start to look consensual so i think in a kid's mind it would you start to hit an area that you don't you don't really know. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm high and mighty and I wouldn't have, I would have known exactly what to do in that situation at that age.
1: I'll say uh, from a female experience, my interpretation of the scene, even though that was not the intention of it, was that she was disassociating at that point.
0: Okay. I didn't, Yeah, I didn't see the, the disassoci- disassociation. Though again, everything's right there. So the way you interpret it is is not wrong at all. And As far as, like, what the movie was, like, really trying to punish him for, I think it was saying that this guy, this villain, he he is taking it far. He is taking it. Yeah. No, his actions were not justified. And he really, he wins this, but he is the antagonist and he is wrong. They tell you in the movie, a grain of sand or a rock. So, I knew from there, I was like, this is going to be something small. Not small, but this is going to be something that most people wouldn't justify what this guy's been through. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's also why at the end of the movie, you know, you did kind of need something bittersweet because, yeah, this man did wrong, but he didn't do that goddamn wrong. And
1: <laughs>
0: he, didn't, he didn't do that wrong. Not, no.
1: not to Woo Jin. not to Woo Jin, but in the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah.
0: OK, yeah, the rest of the film. But again, the movie how it was written is not paying that as relevance as a bad thing. Yeah, it's not saying Correct. that what he did was wrong.
1: But I think that also kind of plays into, like I said, the, the significance, the kind of economic commentary that it's giving. If Ujin represents a more upper class uh, person and, uh, sorry, I'm, uh, da- Dasu? I was thinking of the actor's name.
0: Desu, uh, Desu?
1: Desu is representing a more lower class and not being able to, you know, being exploited by the upper class and and... No matter what he does, he doesn't ever come out on top. It's it's an interesting analogy there.
0: That and rich people got too much time on their hands. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Because uh, and with the I think also it would have hit harder if they if you actually felt that love between them, because it would have came to a more it would have came to a point to like, dang man, what really should he do in this situation? Because. The, the The villain you know tells him like, Hey, me and my sister kept going with it because we were in love, like what will you go ahead and do? Well, I don't really see that so much as a a conundrum because I don't feel that love there. I don't see that love, yeah. so these I feel like these these moments in the movies are kind of they're not hitting their full impact because again, you didn't have that that love there,
1: yeah, like I said, he loved her more as a daughter than he did as someone he was sleeping
0: with, yeah, and you don't always have to fall in love. That's another thing I want to talk about real quick. Not talk about, but just mention. You don't always have to fall in love to make people understand why they do things for certain people. You can just have a mm-hmm. sense of caring for somebody, yeah, and and go to great lengths for them. If he just really cared about her, then that would have worked just as well. They yeah. didn't have to be completely in love. It could have been a building love. It could have been it could have been the basis of love. Mm-hmm. It could have been something that he was like, man, I can't wait until you know I finish this. I throw that guy out his penthouse window. You know, yeah, we, we, you know, they can still have sex, whatever, but I can't wait to go back to her and live this life. And he's imagining it and then it all just gets stripped away. Mm-hmm. And he does look, I'll give it again, it's a bit bittersweet because he looks messed up. Like the hypnosis doesn't really free his mind. He still looks like he's been through some things.
1: <laughs> yeah, But do I feel sorry for him? No, sorry. I don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. No, I, with all the other stuff, I mean, like story-wise for what you're going for. Yeah. I can see. Having to feel sorry for him outside of that, no. Like, Mm -hmm. actually seeing what I saw, no. Yeah. Still so screwed up, though. I'll say that. No matter what he did. I thought he, like, raped a sister or something. I was like, okay. All right. I get. oh, well, what? (laughs) Grand sand and a rock. Am I right? Caitlin, does this... I already know the answer. Does this hold up?
1: (laughs) Well, apparently it does. It's just getting its re-release and restoration. So what do I know? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I would say outside of that, outside of the whole uh, subplot plot with uh, Mito, this does hold up, but that, man, that is some, yeah, that's just something that you're like, I'm surprised no one has mentioned it with with the 20th anniversary being here. I didn't I see anything about it. And, I mean, there's some other early films that are kind of problematic. This is one of the worst that I've seen. We'll talk about some other ones.
1: Like, looking at the reviews on Letterboxd, at least, there are some that do mention the same issues. Um, Because sometimes I like to look at negative... Like, if I don't like a movie, I like to look at the negative Letterboxd reviews just to see if they can verbalize it in a way that I'm not necessarily able to at first, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I got it. I just... I try to do a mixture of both because I feel like if I like a movie or don't like a movie, I just read. I kind of... I'm just snowballing myself am oh I, yeah I'm, I'm just strengthening it but i see what you're I, saying like th- you're trying to find the words for it so that's yeah, yeah that is good i can see that
1: uh yeah, yeah i still do read the, the positive ones uh but there's definitely a lot more positive for this one so it kind of just made me think like am i missing something like that's why i'm like it's like am i is this all just subversive and i just don't get it like i don't i don't know <laughs> i was like am i being gaslit here
0: <laughs> no you're you're not i can see why this movie too it's yeah I feel like people are just kind of looking past that and they're looking at everything else that's great about this movie and yeah that, that the other parts work so much for them that they're not they're not really seeing that they're not seeing that mm-hmm. issue and I think and I, I can understand that I think if you don't watch as many movies and if you're not if you, if you're not as conscious of that you're you may not really see it and it's not to say that you know you're the problem or you're ignorant like completely ignorant to it or don't care it's just that you're like you're not again you're not conscious of it you're not going to intake it that way you're not going to see like how we see the writing and how we've seen the the women treatment before and that we're our minds are already kind of open to to look out for that Mm -hmm. we're all already vigilant for those for those types of misrepresentation and i I think we are being fair and like man it could have just been written better too and it would have worked I'm not saying we got to take it completely out, but it could have been, oh, the movie could have been greater than what it was.
1: Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think Park Chan-wook is a bad person or it really just hates women. I just think that there's definitely, I mean, everyone has problematic things that they have to unlearn. And I think that he's definitely grown as a director in this regard. And like I said, he got a female writer. So that, that did help some um so i'm glad that there has been at least a little bit of a shift um in his films um i just think that it just i just don't think that these aspects of this film hold up and and another thing that didn't hold up was the cgi it's such a very very minuscule part of his film but there's there's these cgi ants that looked a little silly uh it was a good scene uh in the film he's like hallucinating ants crawling into his body and crawling all over him and it's a good scene for his mental state to portray how his mental state is at a time when he is locked up but it's just the cgi just didn't didn't really hold up
0: <laughs> i would say the makeup also doesn't hold up as well not in the not one is high def mm. i don't know if you noticed like i appreciate the I detail didn't that. but his knuckles like the bruising on his knuckles look like stickers
1: oh really i didn't notice that
0: yeah and the the person's gold teeth they look like they look like some foil over them. Foil overlay.
1: <laughs> that did uh, look a little silly.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I can't really fault it. I mean the movie was made in 2003 earlier uh that it was actually in production. So hey, it's just it's just one of those things. I mm-hmm. uh, I think we think that 2000 wasn't so long ago, but it it was. It was still an early time. Especially for special effects and makeup and action. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, so I, I agree. I don't I don't think that aspect holds up, but everything else. Yeah. Overall rating of this film. Caitlin, what do you give it? I'm oh, worried. wait, wait, wait. Hold up. I haven't guessed it in a while. Hmm. All right, I got it. I got it. Go. Okay.
1: I'm going to give it a D because I'm going to give it a step up from an E just because I do think there's a lot of things to praise of this film as far as its filmmaking process and the... um. The compositions, the cinematography, there is a lot good to take from this. It's just, like I said, this, this plot <laughs> just did not work for me. But writing didn't work for me. It, its treatment of the female characters didn't work for me. Um, but I do appreciate that it did help get Korean cinema on the board. And I appreciate its significance in Korean history, really, as far as um, being part of that Hallyu wave.
0: Okay, I was thinking C minus for you, uh, so not too far off, two points. I would. Yeah, it's really hard because it really isn't just kind of going up and down like some movies do. It's like really, it's like it's got some drastic dips and some and some peaks for me. I think I'll go with C. No, yeah, I think I'll go with a solid <laughs> C because like I almost want to put it at like a C plus a B minus for a lot of good, but. Yeah, man, that whole plot, especially being so much of it, I, I got to bring it down a couple. And then also it did dip for me a little bit in the story. Also, the narration now I think about it. Yeah, that's another another couple points I got to take off. So uh, I know somebody's sitting here like, all right, we're taking off and adding points. What What is even the basis? <laughs> uh, hey, don't worry about it. So I think, yeah, this rounds out to uh, a shaky C. I can't say a solid C. It's, it's shaky. Mm hmm. I mean, I'll say, like, hey, if you like this film, I, I, I understand this film's a claim. I'm with you. I respect what this did for Korea cinema. I see why it's one of the top rated films out there. It's not one of the more questionable ones on the top 250. I, I think there's just, I think there's a lot of overlook with this film. I, I saw uh, one review I,
1: that was like, this is a type of film that I really would have liked when I was, like, younger before had like lived and been through some shit and like was still in that phase where it's like you'd like to be these edgy kind of movies you'd like the extremes that different movies has but when you get older and you kind of look back on it and like i said you live some more uh it definitely is just very different so i'm curious how many people just haven't watched it in more recent years
0: yeah that's true oh th- i would have loved this back in the day mm-hmm. like this would have yeah, early, you know, when I really started getting the film, like 18, 19. Yeah, I would edgy have loved plot this plot twist,
1: yeah. Yeah, edgy.
0: It's, oh, it's edgy. It's got a plot twist. Uh, Yeah, and just throughout the years, I want to say like I've seen some things. I mean, yeah, I've seen some things, but I don't know, just seeing things and putting things together and how mine mind has matured and developed. Not saying that if you do like this film or anything about this film, it's immature. Uh, Well, actually I would, but Let's let's not get into it. Um, yeah, I would just say like I just have a different way of, of looking at things. That, but yeah, back back in the day, this being edgy and having that twist, that's the big thing in there. That twist, ooh, that twist, that twist makes you forget everything. At least you know it hopes it hope it does. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that review. I still would have liked to see this in theaters though. A little upset about that. No, I was upset as I was snapping my brake line, but still upset. Yeah, nothing like working on a car. You hear something pop what what was that oh, and then gosh. you start looking and then you start feeling a drip on your leg god dang it Ugh. and i was looking at it i'm like that doesn't look too bad and i moved it and then it just completely came apart oh like, gosh well <laughs>
1: hmm.
0: now caitlin what is our next episode
1: Next week, we're tackling a film starring the great Sydney Poitier, which would be the second film this year that we've done with him. The first being Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. But this one is a neo-noir mystery drama film, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, I have not seen this film. I don't think you have either, but it should be an interesting one. Doing a lot of crime films recently, I feel.
0: Yeah, and the one after this we're debating of doing, whichever choice we go with is a crime film as well. (laughs) Yep. And then we get into some horror, and I'm not sure how November's looking. I have to look at for common themes on that one. But yeah, this movie neither of us have seen. Will I be able to learn Sydney's last name by the time we get to the movie? (laughs) Probably not. Actually, I probably will, and then by the time that I have to say it, it's just going to be bleh.
1: Yep. (laughs) You're going to be put on the spot. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm going to start looking for it like I'm looking for my car keys. I know i got it somewhere. Is it this one? Portnay? No, no, not Portnere? No. Nope. God dang it. Okay, so also, recently, if you guys haven't noticed yet with this episode of MPWees, and I'm going to start going back retroactively and updating the episodes, they are louder. Yeah, it turns out we were a little too low. And that would have been nice to know, like, I don't know, 50 to 100 episodes earlier. Do so you guys have, like, any kind of... um? You know, critiques. We're both writers here. We're both creative artists. We're used to constructive criticism. We welcome it. You know, we welcome it with an open door. We don't keep it trapped for fifteen years. So you can let us know, like, hey, hey, have you thought about doing this? Maybe you should do this. Hey, I, I'm not feeling this. Let us know, okay? And how can you do that, Caitlin?
1: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at screen. On Facebook, we're at Operation Silver Screen, but Twitter and Instagram, that's Op Silver Screen. You can also find us on our personal letterboxes. been watching some other films recently. Um, Brian, I don't know if you've had a little bit more time on your plate to watch some films this month, but we are giving some other films reviews, ratings on there that we might not be able to talk about on here. So you can check out Brian's at Swank Seal, and you can check out mine at Coffee Spoon Kate.
0: Yes, well, if you looked at my Letterbox Friday, you would see that only two of the films that I had watched were actually I think it was one or two were part of the show, and the other ones I were recreational picks. I, I'm going to be, or by the time this episode releases, I'll be traveling between families, and I'll have some additional time on my hands. I'm not also, I'm not bringing my Xbox with me, so I won't be playing any video games. So I have some more time, which. Oh, but when I get back, guys, I'm sorry. You ain't going to see many movies. But, like, by the time that I get back, I'll have four games on my plate. That's what will be on my plate. So I'm going to oh, watch yeah, a lot of movies. Phantom
1: Liberty. Phantom <laughs> Liberty.
0: Yes, I'll be arriving back on, or I'll be leaving and arriving back here when Phantom Liberty comes out. Also got Armor Core, Starfield, Mortal Kombat, Lies of P may be good. Yeah. Lies it's, of P? Yeah, Lies of P. That's the one I told you about Pinocchio.
1: Oh, uh, okay.
0: Gosh, yeah, I guess the piece from Pinocchio. I'm so tired of Pinocchio. Pinocchio, Indiana Jones, and Cannibals. <laughs> I had to watch some yep. Cannibals recently too. So I was like, God dang it. Can I not get away from these things? <laughs> watch, wow, somebody's going to make a movie. It's going to be a Pinocchio-themed adventure with an Indiana Jones-like character running from Cannibals.
1: <laughs> oh gosh, my worst nightmare. I didn't know Starfield was coming out soon.
0: Yeah. Also, the review embargo that they announced today will be re- released on August thirty first. Ah, okay. I'm I think interested. it's like the first or second week, second week of September the game comes out. Nice. Yeah, that one kind of has me a little worried, but should be good. Armor Core, really looking forward to. it. I hope that's good. Uh, Mortal Kombat. All right, got a pre order. I'm ready.
1: <laughs>
0: ah, wish you hadn't seen Mortal Kombat so we can do that movie.
1: Yeah. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Raise it from your mind when I come home.
1: I say, granted, it pretty much is a race from my mind because I saw it as a child. So, uh,
0: maybe we can watch it just for fun. Who knows? If we got time, I Already, I'm, I bet we already got some films lined up.
1: <laughs> Labyrinth.
0: <laughs> Till next time, we'll be in HQ plotting some revenge maybe on some people. I don't know. Maybe we'll just go ahead and just orchestrate something. I'm Brent.
1: And I'm Caitlin.
0: See ya.